Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2 say, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is the word of God. I want to finish reading the psalm that Margaret read, the first two verses of. Our scripture, our sermon comes from 1 and 2, but listen to it all. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You may not be aware, but this year we at Grace celebrate our 20th anniversary as a church. We will... uh, do different things through the year to celebrate what God has done. And in October, we will have an amazing time of worship, a homecoming weekend that will be a celebration of the Lord and his work here. Recently, our staff and elders uh, met for a quick retreat. And during the time of that retreat, we looked at all our statements. Who, who are we as a church and what are we all about? We discovered a glaring omission in our mission statement. And we talked about it, and we did a little bit of reworking, nothing in dramatic fashion, but the word that was missing was the word disciple. And so our mission statement has been exalting Christ, transforming lives, embracing a community now since 2007. That's when we crafted that statement. But we looked at it and reworded it to say that we exist as a church to make disciples who exalt Christ, live transformed lives, and embrace their community. We exist to make disciples who do that. And that indeed is a different thing. It is not that we haven't been doing it, but you're more likely to do what's written down than what isn't. And so we uh, worked on that and reworked it. Then we did a values clarification exercise. In 2007 also, we settled on 10 values as a church that matter to us, and we've worked out of those for 10 years. And it was interesting when we did that exercise, the eight of the 10, we set all those aside and uh, did this exercise and eight of the 10 resurfaced as these are things that matter most to us. And then we said, okay, how can we make these memorable? How is it? Because 10 is so many to remember. And we discovered that all of our values land in three statements, three value statements and everything can fit underneath them. And you'll see that on our website. If you'll go, you'll see our values. But here are those three statements. Number one, Jesus over everything. 
Jesus over everything. We have two of our values that just snugly fit into that. Jesus over everything. Number two, heart change that leads to life change. Heart change that leads to life change. You'll see three or four of our values that just wonderfully fit under there. And then number three, others before ourselves. Others before ourselves. Those are our three overarching value statements that really are our marching orders. We at Grace exist to make disciples who exalt Christ, live transformed lives, and go out and embrace their community. And the values that guard that are Jesus over everything, heart change that leads to life change, and others before ourselves. And so this sermon series is called Reboot, and it will cover all of those statements over the next few weeks. We'll just look deeper into them and be reminded of why God has called us and convened us as a family of faith in this community. But I would say to you this morning that there is no way that we can do what we have just reminded ourselves that God has called us to do unless that God is gracious to us. There is no way. We cannot. Now, we can do some good things. We've got some good leaders in this place. We're, we can be pretty organized at times. There, there are things that we can put together, but there is no way that we can do what God has called us to do unless the prayer of Psalm 67, 1 and 2, lands squarely in our hearts and minds. So it was just a few weeks ago that I was in this psalm in my time with the Lord and it was as if the Lord said, that's, your, that's yours. That is Grace Community's marching orders for the next year. That's to be your prayer. That is to be your prayer. So let's talk about it for a minute and look at it for a few minutes and look at these, these uh, requests in this prayer. First request is be gracious to us. The word gracious means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior, to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. When we go to the great God of heaven and we say to him, God, be gracious to us, we are acknowledging that we indeed are below, we indeed are low, we are needy people. And if he's going to be gracious to us, he will have to bend his knee in order to do so. We cannot get to him. He is so much bigger than anything you and I could ever conjure. He is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. We cannot scale his heights. We cannot look on him and live. We cannot stand in his presence. And so unless the great God of the universe decides to stoop down, we're done. We are helpless that's what this request means. Recently, I watched the Kennedy Center honors, and Reba McIntyre was being honored. Her co-star in the show, Reba, spoke uh, during this show, and she said, uh, she talked of Reba's humility. 
She said, as a matter of fact, we were at dinner one night, and it was a dinner, a large dinner, a dinner table, and some folks came over, and Reba introduced herself as Reba McIntyre, as if everyone did not know her last name. Kelly Clarkson said, she has mentored me in so many different ways, giving me time no one at her level should ever give me. That's being gracious. It's bending the knee. It's stooping down. The word bless means to bend the knees. So if you look at gracious and bless, it's a double whammy. To bend or stoop in kindness, bless is to bend the knees. It's, the, it's both of those things being said. So let's talk about how this is how God is and how he works Remember in the garden when Adam and Eve blew it? They completely blew it. They ate of the fruit. What did God do? Did he stay where he was? No. No, God came down and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. He did not from there yell out to Adam. He did from down here where Adam and Eve were. He said, Adam, where are you? He bent the knee. When Moses needed the Ten Commandments, he needed a law to lead his people by. It wasn't, Moses, you better get to heaven to be in my presence. It was, meet me on this mountain and I'll do what? I'll come down. I'll come down and I will so shield your face that you will not die in my presence. And so God came down. How about late in Israel's history when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have stood up for God and now they're thrown into the fiery furnace? God didn't from heaven say, hope that goes well for you. No, God from heaven came down in Christ and walked in the garden with them, in the, in the uh, uh, furnace with them. God came down. Why? Because that's who he is. That's what he does. Or let's go to an unknown town, Micah said in 5.2. You Bethlehem Ephratah, too small, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come forth one Jesus born. If you go to Israel today, I've been there. If you look and see, it looks like a little cave where he grew up. Just cave-like existence in that remote place of Nazareth. God is a coming down kind of God. How about right before Jesus is to be crucified, he stoops down and does what the door servant should have done, or at least one of the 12, and washed the disciples' feet. God is a bending of the knee God. He stoops down, and if anything good happens in your life, it will be because the great God of the universe just bends his knee and gets on eye level with you and has a one-to-one -one conversation with you and takes you as you are and loves you too much to leave you that way and says, I will be with you. I will live in you. I will walk beside you until you are home with me. Amen? That is our God. Last Sunday after the second service, this little kid came up to me with his grandmother. And so I thought it was fitting that I stooped down. 
he wanted to talk to me. So it was right there, and I just stooped down and got right on his level. And I said, Jaden, what do you need? He said, next Sunday, could you go a little shorter? <laughs> I, I said, uh, I'll work on it. Is there a reason? He said, yes. I really like to get my back scratched. And when I have to sit up that long and can't roll over and get my back scratched, it's rough. It's like, wow, this five-year-old is into self-care early. Probably burns essential oils in his bedroom, right? Stooping down. God just stoops down right to where we are, does he not? Listen to this. Just soak this in. John 13, when he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, well, you should wash one another's. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We are a stooping down people because God is a stooping down God. Amen? It's who we are. It's how we roll. Request number two. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us. Request number two, that others may know your way. What I find interesting in this, and I think words matter significantly, it doesn't say that others may know your ways. It's singular. Don't miss that. You say, well, Jerry, why does that matter? If it said ways, there's a whole myriad of things that we could talk about the ways of God but if it says way, then we've got to figure out what the singular thing it's referring to is because that's remarkable. Because someone as great as God has ways, not just a way. He has ways, plural. So what is the way here? So it causes us to look at the origin of Psalm 67, 1 and 2. And the origin of it is Moses. And it is a blessing that God gave Moses to give to the people. And then Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, began using it every single time they met for worship. He would bless them with this. He would say, Lord, be gracious to you and bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. He would say that to the people of Israel. If you've grown up in a more liturgical church, you've heard this again and again and again. The Lord be gracious to you and bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. That's the origin of it. So, so what then is the origin of that? The origin of the blessing is... Moses and Aaron, but the origin of the blessing itself, the pronounced blessing, but the blessing itself is God's covenant with Abraham. All right, so, so we're going to swim down a little deep. I'm assuming, even though it's early, your thinking caps are on, and i got a lot of scripture that's going to fly on the screen, so hang with me. This is God making a covenant, Genesis 15, with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. His name had not yet changed to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, 
Just in case you think Abram had it all together, hang tight. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. God says, hey, I'm your shield. You're going to be great. Abram says, I don't think so. That's what, that, that's what that is. All right, so lest you make him bigger and better than he is, Abram is saying, but God, it doesn't look like it. It just doesn't look like that's going to happen. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him his righteousness. All right, so did Abram believe right away? So let's do this class. Did Abram believe right away? Yes or no? No. Good job. All right, so no, he didn't. But did he believe eventually? Yes or no? Yes. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Well, here we go again. Can anybody say parenting 101? Right? How many times do you tell your kids the same thing again and again and again? So here's God, Abram, back and forth. But, but he said, oh, Lord, how shall I know? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. All right, so God says in that sleep to Abram, hey, I got you. You're going to have a kid. He's going to have kids. They're going to have kids. You're going to have loads of them. They're going to end up in Egypt. They'll be there 400 years. They're going to come out, and, and I'll judge Egypt, and I'll bring them into this land. God spells all of that right there in that dream. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Termites. Just making sure you're listening. And the Jebusites. All right, you say, well, Jay, what in the world does this mean? I want you to track with me, track with me on this. In Abram's day... Abram was a powerful man. He was a wealthy man. By, by this time, he has accumulated quite a bit of wealth. He has uh, so much that, remember Lot, and he had to separate. And Abram is just a, a, a powerful guy. He's fought a couple uh, small battles uh, on his journeys as well. And there was a practice in Abram's day of this, that when there was a covenant made between kings, the lesser of the king and the greater of the king, there was always, always the lesser, always the greater. The lesser king would do something. He would sacrifice an animal. And when he sacrificed that animal, he'd lay a piece on one side and he would lay a piece on the other side. And that lesser king would walk between those two pieces of that sacrifice. And he would look up as that greater king watched him. And he would say to that greater king, may it be done to me as has been done to these. 
this animal if I break this covenant. He was saying to the greater king, you kill me. Rip me in half as these animals have been if I break this covenant. But something unbelievable happens in Abram's vision. He falls asleep and there is what that comes down and moves between the pieces? It's a burning pot. Well, who does that burning pot symbolize? God. We say, well, Jerry, where are you going with this? Just hang with me. God the greater does what Abram the lesser should do. Well, what is God saying? May it be done to me as has been done to these pieces. If I break this covenant. No. Why? Because God can't break a covenant. Let's back up then. What is God saying? May it be done to me as has been done to these. If you, Abram, break this covenant. Did that happen? Yes, it did. Did Abram break it? Yes, he did. And on the cross, Jesus was torn and ripped to shreds. God, keeping this covenant that he made with his servant, Abram. So what does Abram do in the very next chapter? Wakes up and he's got it. No. Chapter 16, wakes up. Sarah comes to him and says, we're never going to have kids. Well, Abram, didn't you just have an amazing vision where God said to you, I got you. Didn't you just have this amazing experience where, where you fell asleep and, 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 and this burning pot came between and, and, and God promised all this? And Abram's like, okay. And she said, well, here's my servant. And Take her and have sex with her, and, and the kid you have by her will be, will be our heir. Abram, Abram. I mean, this is your moment, right, to say, no, no, let me tell you what happened as I was asleep. But what does Abram do? He's like, okay. And he does. Ishmael is born. If you want to go at the very root of what stirs between the Muslims and the Jews today, you trace it right back to Ishmael and then to eventually their son Isaac. Well, well if I'm God, I guess I'm done with Abram, right? Idiot. Right? What are you thinking? That's 16. Here's chapter 17. God's back, talking to Abram again. Behold, my covenant is with you. What? God, what? How can he say that? Because it was his burning pot that passed between the pieces. It was. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. As a matter of fact, Abram, I'm going to give you a new name. 
just going to give you a new name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Here we see a stooping down, redeeming God taking the mess that Abram has made and saying, hey, when I make a covenant, I keep it. When I make a covenant, I keep it. God is so intent on you knowing his way that if you are his, he has not, nor will he ever give up on you. He has not, nor will he ever put you aside. He will love you to the end. He will love you through sin. He will mistakes. He will love you through failure. He will love you through disbelief. He will love you through doubt. He will walk with you through the darkest valley. He will be with you on the highest mountain. He will not abandon you because he has demonstrated that on the cross. No greater love has anyone than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. Amen? Amen. That is your God. That is our God. And he comes in 17 and says, hey, Abram, I'm going to give you a new name. There, there are two other people in Scripture that God gave new names. I don't know if you've ever done a, just a little quick study on this. One denied him and the other killed Christians. Peter. Some of you sit here and you think your case is too hard for him? You think that what you've done has distanced you too far? That your way may be known on earth. Your way. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament, Zacchaeus. Love that story. He's vertically challenged. Right? Can't see, so he climbs a little tree. Sees Jesus, Jesus walking in to town of all the people. He picks the local IRS agent. And I'm just guessing most of us have no desire to go do outreach at the IRS. Just a thought. But no. God says, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch. Everybody's murmuring. Does he know? Does he know who's in there? So they have lunch. Zacchaeus comes out, repentance, says, I'll pay you back. Everybody, right? That's the day you want to be on Zacchaeus's, you know, he, he, he cheated you list. Because it's four times what he cheated you. He says, I'm paying you back. And, and here are Jesus' words. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of who? Abraham. Today salvation has come to this house since he, let's get that up on the screen. Um, uh, Luke 19.10, uh, there it is. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of who? What? He's the son of Abraham, the guy who received the promise, the covenant in 15, blew it in 16, got a new name in 17. For the son of man came to do what? Seek and save the Lord. That's why he came. So the prayer goes that your way may be known on earth. All right, so the third part of the prayer is in praise you. Let's put it all together. Be gracious to us. 
that others may know your way and praise you. All right, so I'm going to get super technical here. I know this is like nerdy first day of the year. I promise I won't be this nerdy all year. But I'm being super nerdy because it matters. All right. So here is your theological word, Bible study word of the day. Maybe the year. All right. I didn't even put it on the screen. I'm sorry. C-H-I-A-S-M. Chiasm. So this week I challenge you to use that in a sentence. Doesn't have to make sense. Just say it. All right. People will be impressed. So chiasm. So let me put the psalm this way on the screen. Let me see what it looks like. All right. Uh, put it all up, if you will. Bless us and all the nations, and then keep rolling. Yet yeah. let the peoples praise you for the joy of your universal rule, verse 4. Let the peoples praise you. Bless us and all the ends of the earth. Do you see a pattern? All right. So what chiasm means is that some poetry, Hebrew poetry, is written so that when it gets to the middle... The, the, uh, the Greek letter chi just means X. When it gets to the middle, the, the truth in the middle is the truth of the psalm, and every other truth in the psalm hangs on the truth in the middle. All right? So when you understand a psalm, if you you got to figure this out, right? Is it chiastic? And if you figure it out, then you know the whole point of the psalm is whatever's slap dab in the middle. All right? So never thought I'd use chiasm and slap dab in the same sentence. But all right, so, so what is the truth in this? Verse 4. The truth is for the joy of your universal rule. That's the point of this psalm. The point of Psalm 67 is that God wants to joyfully rule over your life and over the world, over all the nations. That's the point of the whole psalm. What does this mean then? It means then that the aim in all of evangelism isn't a lost person just getting saved. The aim in all of evangelism is the worship of God. That's the aim. It's the worship of God. John Stott says, the greatest incentive in all evangelism is not the need of human beings, but the glory of God. Not that they shall receive salvation, but they shall give to God the honor that is due his name. That is the aim. All right, so let's look back at the psalm again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That turns second person, your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then fours right at the center. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. We're backing back right into the initial meaning of the psalm. Let all the peoples praise you. That your earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Notice who the people are not praising here. They are not praising Abraham. They are not praising Israel. They're not they're not, they're not praising the nation of Israel. They're not, pra they're, they're not praising the people of Israel. No, they're praising God. That all the nations will praise you, God. That's the aim of evangelism, is to bring people to Christ. And when they come to Christ, they end up praising him. All right, so as I said, this is our 20th anniversary. And God has done great things in, in the almost 20 years here at Grace. October uh, will be, or November will be our, the charter, but uh, 20 years. But guess what? 
For zero of it does Grace Community Church deserve praise. Amen? Zero. I don't say that to have some like platitude, moral platitude, high ground to stand on. No, it's true. You say, well, how do you know? Just get close enough to us and you'll see we are not praiseworthy. We make plenty of mistakes. We, we, we make missteps. We're, we're fallen people who struggle to do the work of God here. We get some things right, some things we don't. If you think we figured it all out, it just means you're so far away from us that you have not been close enough to see. We in no way are that. But he did. John Piper, in his book, I have it in front of me, Let the Nations Be Glad, says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is missions exist because worship doesn't think about this worship is ultimate not missions because god is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of god missions will be no more it is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Wow. So, Jerry, what would that look like? John had a vision. Can I read it to you? And this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every what? class every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages this is psalm 67 fulfilled this is it this is what it's going to look like i don't know if, you, if it's ever occurred to you but but it's going to be so many colors and so many tribes and so many different people groups as a matter of fact every single one standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our who? God. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb? What are they doing? They're worshiping. That's it. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. It's like, it's like we can't say enough. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is future. That is the goal. That is the aim, is that one day in heaven, there will be people from every people group on the the planet and all the nations people from every nation and tribe and tongue will bow before Jesus Christ himself and there we will join that massive host and we will begin to sing a song that even the angels cannot sing a song of the redeemed that's the ultimate goal missions isn't worship Reminds me of, and several of you were there being in Ecuador last year. We were in Ecuador, mission trip, worshiping at Julio, Julio's church. Great church there. And uh, while we were there, um, at one point I went up to the piano and uh, and uh, 
began to lead this, uh, this old hymn. Uh, before I did, I leaned over to uh, one of the members of his church beside me and asked, do you guys know this in Spanish? And they said, yeah, we do. I, I've been privileged to sing this in Ecuador and to sing this in Africa. I'm not sure how many languages. Maybe somebody could Google that. This song is sung in but I will tell you, there have been few moments of worship so meaningful as standing in that building and singing in English and in Spanish together. This song, it was just a little taste of heaven. saying Juan Grande is Sing it out like a large choir. Oh Lord, my God, that's beautiful. Sing out when I.
last verse, I don't know that we have, says, there it is. When Christ shall come, this is it, isn't it? With shout of acclamation. He's coming for you, church. Sing it out, my God, how great you are. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. That's beautiful. How great thou art. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to people say amen amen adrian's going to come and close us out as he is coming i would say this to you if you're stand in this room and you are not 100 percent sure that should christ today split the skies wide open that you would be with him do not leave today without christ Come and find me, Adrian. Come and find one of our pastors, elders. Come and find us and give your life to Christ today. Amen, folks? Yes, yes. Adrian.